Hey everyone, welcome to episode 29 of your favorite podcast, Techish. Woo-woo. This is your host, Abadesi of Hustle Crew and Product Hunt, joined by my amazing co-host, Michael Behane. I thought you were going to say my name there. Yeah, Michael <laughs> Behane of peopleofcolorandtech.com <laughs> and this wonderful podcast, Techish. Woop woop. So I thought it might be really interesting um, for us to talk about and then also get our listeners advice on what problems tech should be solving. Mm. Uh, we talk a lot about how tech should represent society better and be more representative of it. And I wondered if uh, the lack of inclusion and diversity of voices is also creating um, a situation where not all of not, not all problems that are really creating existential threat to humanity are being worked on enough, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, for example, like, um, this, by the way, this conversation is inspired by uh, a tweet that Nat Friedman, mm. who's going to be the CEO of GitHub soon, oh, wow. um, he was talking about. And then Harshita Arora also wrote a blog post about it. Some of the things that were presented you know, it was like crowdsourcing ideas where, you know, how do we solve food? Because ultimately there's too much food in some places, not enough in others. Mm. Um, One of the things that Harshita spoke about, which I think about a lot and we talk about in this podcast a lot as well, is like understanding our brains. Right. Like how do we still not know how our minds work and stuff like that? And we spoke in an earlier version of Techish about how that woman got like, electrodes plugged into her brain did we yeah. talk about that and then she was better at the game she became super mindful and she's in the zone and she yeah. was able to, like, she killed the game and when they stopped she was like she couldn't even remember but she was like you know her score went up 10x she was able yes. to kill people with deadly accuracy whereas before she was terrible and it was just because they stimulated the right areas of her brain yeah um that is super fascinating yeah sorry to cut you off oh no not at all so i guess i wanted to ask you what are some of those fields or areas that you feel will transform society and humanity in the future that tech founders out there should be working on right now some of them i don't know if an individual founder will be able to do it. i would much rather we had a more efficient and transparent government and i wish tech would enable that so for example in estonia mm. um they have made a lot of inroads in, in this manner. They have a program or a system, I forgot the name of it, where everything is essentially centralized. So if I apply for a job, I, they can type in my basically my login number and they can see my degree, they can see my birth records, oh, wow. they can see everything. It's like, like WeChat in China though, no? I don't think WeChat has those kind of records, no, but maybe yet, they do. But they're going to start doing that social grading. Is that social not going to be connected to your background? So perhaps, that is a, that is very scary. That is very totalitarian. I mean, some, some people on the libertarian scale of, of political views might even think what I'm describing is quite totalitarian okay, because, cool. of, because of the potential for it to go awry that one number, we can find out everything about so you. So everyone in Estonia has this? Everyone in Estonia has this. Okay. I, don't, I, I wonder if it's blockchain-based. I don't know. But so, for example, if I'm applying for a job, mm. I don't, you know, sometimes they'll say, can you send us a proof of your diploma or your degree? Yeah. And I've got to go find something. I've got to mm. photocopy this. I've got to, like, whereas in Estonia, it's just like, type one number. Oh, yeah, we see it. Thanks. Verified. Perfect. Wow. Um, also, I would love so that I'm able to kind of search in a searchable, digestible manner and say, okay, what was talked about in, um, you know, Houses of Parliament on this day? I, I want to search for what has Jeremy Corbyn said on AI? Yeah. What has, you know, Theresa May said on AI, for example, on the dangers of AI? And I can quickly search for it wow. and it, a transcript will come up. Like, that is something that should be there for mm. all citizens to see in the future because we need to hold our governments accountable. That's so interesting. And like, you know, you could, I would love to be able to go like, I think some people have tried this where you could look for an MP member or a member of the Senate or whatever, and just say, what are their views on this on this issue? How have they voted? Who has donated to them? Oh my God, them? I would love who's that. Who has donated to them? That's what like, they talk about in Homo Deus, just like right. having that algo that can get access to every piece of data. Right, yeah. So, I mean, a lot of this might have scary implications in the future if, if there's a fascist or totalitarian government having that much control to each of our data. But at the same time, as a citizen, 
right now, yeah. I would love for that kind of transparency to exist. Yeah. And um, the other thing I would really love is abundant and cheap housing. Nice. Like I would love if Let's we could talk just, about that. I would love it. You know, I mean, in all of the major cities in the world, there is, you know, housing crisis. And especially the cities our listeners are in, SF, London, New York. It's crazy, Cost right? of living is rising and the quality of life is going down. Right, yeah. I mean, so many people are spending the majority of their salary on their rent. Like, it's crazy. Like, and... Um, in fact, I was watching a really great documentary on Netflix about uh, living mortgage-free and like oh, the wow. extent that millennials are going to. Like, people are living in boats. Oh, <laughs> tell me how, man. I need this. People are living on a canal in a boat. People are like going oh. to the countryside and they're just building their own house, like wow. on, on some like fifty oh, grand. Tiny homes. Tiny homes. So yes. I would love it. Like, and I think to be honest, a lot of the problem is political and not necessarily technical. I think a lot of the time, like um, existing homeowners and you know political bodies restrict house building but if there was a way where we could be like guys listen we can just 3d print a little something for 10 g's here yeah and, wow. it'll, be, and it'll be better quality than what exists already it would be a lot it would be it would exert much more political pressure on what is there already to say yeah. how can you deny us the right to build our houses here and even in the developing world it'd be even greater you know what i mean like we, like I, my dad's village I would love to be able to go there and be like, yo, like, we can just build, like... Just bring like, a big-ass 3D yeah, printer build, yeah, and be like, build, yeah, what's we, up, we, everybody? Yeah, exactly. We're going to build, like, you know, a yeah. skyscraper now. We're like, and everyone's going to be okay. Is that single-use plastic? I don't even know. I don't know <laughs> the first thing about it. I think that's also the problem, actually. A lot of, like, the technical challenges, I don't think the current tech ecosystem is set up for it. There's a lot of us that are software engineers, software writers, I prefer the term. JavaScript, you know, C++, whatnot. But a lot of these problems that I'm, I'm talking about, you know, and you're talking about, like, the brain... This is hard science stuff, yeah. you know, like, and we've got to kind of really invest in education so that we have the talent ready and willing to be able to kind of just make the necessary discoveries. But yeah, there's so many areas that you can just imagine, like, yeah. what, what, could, what should be done and what is not being done, really. I also want to see um, more innovations within, like, health tech. I think a lot of interesting Definitely. stuff is of course, happening. We kind of already mentioned about the brain. But just like other things, like I was um, listening to the radio the other morning and there was a guy who has, um, I believe it's multiple sclerosis. Mm. Oh, I saw that, right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah and yeah. he was saying that the drug that's currently prescribed by the NHS was mm. developed or released into the market 20 years ago. Wow. And he was like, I want to bring more attention to this condition and, you know, encourage people to do more research into finding solutions. And I just kind of thought, surely with the pace of innovation happening now, we should be reviewing all kinds of remedies yeah. on a regular basis. But then with the MS, um, I know someone who suffers from it. So I saw a clip that went viral where they had, basically it was like a brain implant and the person had severe shakes. And when they activated the brain implant, mm. his shakes were completely gone. Like, it's a real wow. tear I'm not going to lie. Like, I was there just, like, fighting back the tears. And, like, they showed before and after. Like, he was struggling to hold a cup. He was, like, shaking. And then they, they activated his brain implant and he was just chugging it away like it was a normal thing. Like, wow. his family around him were just crying because they hadn't seen him move like that in years. So there is some progress that's being made, but okay. it's not being disseminated, you know, on the NHS anytime soon, unfortunately. Um, yeah, health tech is, is it's a major one, really and truly. I mean, there are certain, like, so for example, I remember reading, like, if you've got HIV now, you can you literally take maybe like one or two pills a day and like you can live a normal and fruitful life. And mm. for a lot of people in the 80s, that was a death sentence. That's like, true. Like a lot of us, when me and you of our generation, if we hear HIV, you're just like, I'm you're sorry, dead. like, you're, yeah, you're a goner, unfortunately. Mm. Like, that is Bio Club, amazing film. Um, and so there have been a lot of advances that we take for granted, but there's still so much more. Yeah, we have a long way to go. Final thing I'll say on this, agritech. Mm. So we've mentioned Africa already, but... Um, there are some interesting things happening around, you know, solar power, 
providing electricity, but also like just like more innovative ways for people to like create food yeah. and in a sustainable way. Um, and I'm really interested to see what else comes out of that space. And if you are listening and know any cool startups working in any of the fields we've mentioned above, let us know. Or if there are any themes that we left out that are also important in your view, jump in. So have you heard of the 80-20 rule, Abadesi? Um, Yeah. Pareto's Principle, I think it's called. Pareto Efficiency. Yeah, so I read a really fun article. It's kind of old, actually. Um, Tracy Chow shared the article, and it was essentially the mathematical, almost Freakonomics-esque analysis of the Tinder economy. So they basically said that in Tinder, just like an economy, you have a currency. In Tinder, the currency is likes, and in the real economy, currency is, is money. And so they looked at what is the distribution of the currency, the likes, for example, and they basically found out that the top 20% of men are being... Taken out. Desired mm. by the eighty percent of women, basically. Classic. So it's like, so it's literally like eighty twenty. So if you don't know what an eighty twenty rule is, basically it says that in anything you have an uneven distribution. So for example, in a business, twenty percent of your customers will produce eighty percent of your profits. Yeah. Generally speaking, or maybe t- if this is, this is a real controversial one, twenty percent of your friends provide eighty percent of your happiness. For example, mm. it's good to know that. Definitely true. Yeah, that is definitely true. So I found that interesting. That it actually does turn out to have real world like applications it's not just some like highfalutin bs like you know theory like when somebody broke down the tinder economy air quotes it turned out to be true what does that tell you about dating apps i don't know like this 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 there's a lot of weird controversial stuff that you could say based off this yeah well you you star what's the weird controversial stuff i want to know no like what does it say about gender relations when 20 the top 20 percent of men like are like the ones that like, yeah, basically, I do think if you're not good looking, guys, yeah. give up. Like, it's not happening on I this, do, dating apps. I do think a lot of attraction, and I have no evidence to prove this, but Just I feel like lots experience. of things. Yeah. I do feel that, like, a, a lot of attraction is socialized. Yeah. Because I feel that, you know, I do a lot of work with, like, mentoring people and coaching people around career decisions. But mm. sometimes the way that we make decisions about our career is similar to the way we make decisions about our partner. Yeah. In the sense that what we feel we should be seeking are actually values that were given to us either by like our parents our culture or whatever so you know oh my parents want me to be a doctor or a lawyer because tech is too volatile or not secure yeah and it's a similar kind of thing where it's like i should want to date someone i don't know taller than me or mm-hmm. who's like built like this like the guys I see in the films or whatever like often quite superficial things because ultimately right. like if you're judging a book by its cover yes attraction is like one thing but like you are being superficial if that's like the only thing you're judging someone Definitely, but on, also right? what you find attractive is also designed if you look at things like colorism for example Boom, like you'll see a lot go. of guys that will be like yeah you know, I need to like I grew up in an era where colorism was rife where guys would be like I want to go who's light-skinned they yes. wouldn't say those exact words but you know if you said to someone oh who are you dating and they'd be like oh you know this like you know mixed race girl or if you said oh, I'm dating uh you know somebody who wasn't mixed race who's of a darker complexion there would be less excitement in the room. Yeah. People would be like, oh, you're in a black girl. Okay, cool. Like, that's what and, I and that's mean. really and that's terrible. Crazy. And that's That is insane. But that is designed. Like, your desires exactly. have been designed. You yes. can't tell me that, that you came out of the womb with those base desires. You haven't. Society yeah. has informed those desires. And that reflects on, um, on you know, who do we find attractive, yeah. for example. So, for example, like, why is it scientifically useful for a woman to date a man taller than her? I mean, I guess it... You'd have like you'd, in the world we live in right now. Yeah, I mean, I mean, our biology is very old. Our biology yeah. doesn't understand the world that we live in. Our biology is designed for you know hundreds of thousands of years ago. This is all bro science, by the way. I'm not a scientist. Yeah. <laughs> I've got to acknowledge this. So, uh, obviously, tall, 
on some base level, I would guess signifies good genes, signifies you know health. Signifies well, they can like protection, reach the protection, right? Yeah. Stuff at the tree. I, mean, I don't think I don't think tallness is something that I'm that upset about. Maybe because I'm not super short, average height, but like, and there are people that are short, and it really does get to them. That I know, like growing up. Um, but I think things like ethnicity, things like mm. you know. Uh, features of the face like you know yeah, in Roman like, times like a, a, a crooked nose or a hook nose was seen as attractive whereas here we would say you know it has to be symmetrical or you know somebody who is you know for example I've read that like you know um, Asian men for example are least desired on these dating platforms mm-hmm. because there are a whole set of stereotypes about yeah. what an Asian man is and isn't that is not fundamental to who that's that is not ingrained into us that exactly. i mean that is ingrained into us but it's ingrained by society if that makes any yeah, sense yeah it's reinforced which is why it's i mean uh, if anyone <laughs> if anyone needs reminding of how hot asian guys can be they need to watch crazy rich Asians. <laughs> i've never seen that by the way <laughs> oh lord i was just like sign me up um yeah. but yeah you're right and that's why i think it would be interesting to actually look at the profiles because there's always that sort of correlation whenever the dating apps do these studies around popular profiles and basically gender stereotypes in the patriarchy. Right. So for example, I remember reading one study that Match.com had done a few years ago, which was saying um, the best performing women's profiles Mm. are ones where women are smiling and looking directly into the camera, right? And if you look at your research about, you know, how women can succeed in the workplace, there is always this narrative around Women have to be, you know, relentlessly pleasant. Women should always smile during negotiations right, yeah. to come across as likable. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I feel like it would be interesting to look at this and just see, like, if you take those 20% of profiles that got the most hits, does that correlate with this, you know, masculine persona that patriarchy constantly promotes through film and TV? And, all this, you know, when you watch Love Island mm-hmm. and it's just, like, meathead dudes, like, and you're right. just... I mean, I personally... article about how e-commerce in the country of Somalia, I think primarily Somaliland, which is an autonomous region within uh, that country, um, is now taking off. And the reason why I just liked it, because you know, as an entrepreneur in the UK or a States, you're thinking, man, we've got problems. Like, <laughs> can you imagine trying to do an e-commerce business in a country where like, there's no postcodes, like there's no, you know, or zip codes, yeah. there's no like infrastructure like that. And like, it's just, you know, so f- the internet connection is barely existing. <laughs> Your delivery donkey is on its way. Yeah, arriving literally, right. Three like, days. And it just shows, like, I love when I see, you know, just African entrepreneurs just doing things, like, against all the odds and still making it happen. Like, I put Respect. it in the show notes. It's an article from QZ. And a lot of it is basically people from the diaspora who are used to a certain standard of living going nice. back. And they're just kind of like, you know what, like, Let's why can't we out. have this here? Why can't we have this here kind of thing? Um, so everybody check it out. Really hustle tip everyone loves them so much um for all of the new listeners we've never really covered um or at least not recently how to break into the tech industry right you might be still studying mm. you might be in another industry mm. you might be trying to take your first dance into tech entrepreneurship i thought it'd be cool to just talk about some of the simple ways to break in and you, are you leaving the floor to me to, to explain? <laughs> You're like, okay, Michael, I'll start with some. I'll start people. with some. So I think like the first thing to know is just how the industry you know, lies, like the landscape of the industry. Like, so research, basically. Yeah, research. Educate yourself on all the different sectors mm. um, and then start having a think about like which fields in particular interest you, whether it's like, I don't know, AI, machine learning, uh, might be social impact, tech for good. Right. 
health tech. There's like a lot so to choose from, really. Um, so start there. And then secondly, start thinking about your specific skills. Mm. So what things you're good at. Uh, one of the reasons why I started non-tech tech was because I wanted to highlight the fact that there's so much more than just coding. There are most non-technical people in tech actually if you've actually like looked at the hard numbers of course, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah think about what skills you want to use mm. and then start matching those to to roles what about getting into tech entrepreneurship tech entrepreneurship that's a whole nother kettle of fish really that's that's <laughs> that's really difficult i would definitely recommend anybody that wants to be a tech entrepreneur to read the lean startup it's such a cliche yes. advice to give but it really is kind of like the book that influence my thinking the most on on tech entrepreneurship and then um, i'd also say indie hackers is a good resource indie hackers is a great place to start especially if you're gonna bootstrap i mean indie hackers is primarily for people that are not seeking vc funding and let's keep it real though to be honest statistically speaking most people will not raise vc money yeah you know what i'm saying so that is a great place to start um and like, like you said just familiarize yourself with the industry and 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 the problem that you're trying to solve i think Maybe less so the industry and more the problem that you're trying to solve. Mm. I think if you need to, if you need to do tech to solve that problem, then focus on tech. If that makes any sense, I don't know if focusing on saying I want to be a tech entrepreneur in the abstract yeah. is necessarily a good step. Um, but yeah, breaking into tech in general, I always struggle with that because you know, you know, Mark Andreessen, the famous VC, basically said that software is eating the world. So pretty much every company in the next five to ten years is going to be some form of tech-enabled of course, business. If not, yeah. then otherwise they're not going to survive. You might already be in tech and you don't realize exactly, it. Exactly, right. They say that even the banks basically now say that we're a tech business. A lot of these banks, they come up with yes, so Yes, I have software. noticed that. Yeah, like they, they like software powers pretty much everything they bloody do. Um, so, and I would draw a distinction between breaking into tech in general versus breaking into a startup. I think there's yeah. just two different things. Working in like a giant, you know, a Microsoft or a Google isn't necessarily, necessarily the same thing as working for, you know, a nimble five-person startup. It's probably easier to get into a startup. Definitely. That's how I got my break. Yeah. I, my first tech gig was in a startup. Yeah. I was the first engineering hire and I got to work side by side by the CTO and they hired me because I was young, hungry and cheap. Keeping yeah. it 100, that was my advantage. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? So, so don't underestimate early stage for like early breaking in. That's... I learned so much. I learned more yeah. there than like, you know, even more than actually running my company just because of the fact that I got hands-on coding experience when before I had none, literally. So that's that's zero to like two. Yeah. Now I'm doing like two to like 2.5 mm. in, in my running my company. Um, but yeah, so I think the hard one is also if you're learning to code, if you want to be a coder, that's where I struggle to give advice the most because... But it's so much easier now because you've got things like Lambda is, School yeah, where it's all free until you get a job. Right, so if you're lucky enough to be accepted by one of those schools or to be in a part of the world where those kind of schools exist, yeah. that's, that's kudos to you. In the UK, we don't have anything where it's free up front. Mm. Somebody should really be working on Lambda that. Lambda School's coming. Oh, God bless them. because I, <laughs> like, like, I want to be able to point people in a direction where like, listen, bro, here's a place, or mm. sis, sorry, here's a place you can go to where you're not going to be bankrupted. Yeah. Because you know, not everyone's got 10 Gs to follow yeah, a, a coding boot, a boot camp, right? Um, I did a master's in computer science in order to make, to like, to do the full transition I've said in the past that I felt like I probably didn't need to and it was more of an imposter syndrome but a lot of us suffer from that so a lot of us feel the need to do something to kind of you know smooth us over being self-taught is possible but it's very difficult most people yeah. don't have the discipline like you have to keep it 100 in terms of what you're capable of as a person can you sit down every day with no teacher no outside forces and bang out three hours of education every day it's difficult if you can do it god bless you um so yeah, I hope Lambda School comes because yeah, Lambda School I, I, is on the yeah they they announced it recently, um, and I'd also just say like to Michael's point yeah if you have an untraditional background 
Yes, tech is elitist. Yes, yes, tech is competitive. That's literally why Michael and I started our companies. However, it's changing. And sometimes it's not about drawing attention to the problem. It's just about recognizing it so that one can be best prepared yeah. to succeed. Yeah. Um, so also, like, don't be shy about exploiting communities, networks, reaching out to people, doing whatever you can to give yourself a competitive listening please join in the debate use the hashtag techish on twitter we love hearing from you and replying while you're still listening will you go into itunes and leave us a review tell us how much you love us and if you love us even more you can go onto our patreon and start supporting us from as little as five dollars a month techishpod.com